Good morning. Please open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. It's page 816 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And while you turn there, I'm going to pray for our time together. Father, we turn our eyes to you. And we pray that by your Spirit, we would uh, learn from you today. That we would learn from your Son's example. And that we would become more like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quick story to start off this morning. The year was 2013. I was 21 and a senior in college. I had the amazing opportunity of leading, helping to lead a campus ministry at Illinois Wesleyan University uh, named DRL, which stood for Death, Resurrection, and Life. My junior and senior year, I preached every Thursday night to a group of college students. I loved these times, and I loved learning on the fly. However, I had to learn some lessons the hard way. One night, I was pretty fired up, and in the midst of my passion and zeal and immaturity, I said this in front of about 75 students. Quote, if you're not serious about following Jesus, this isn't the place for you. This statement was not planned, I promise you, but to my shame, as I said it, I didn't even think twice about it. Whatever I was hoping to convey in that moment did not land with many people, as you can imagine. A couple weeks later, I noticed that a few people weren't coming anymore, and one of them was really close to one of my roommates. And so late one night, as we were pulling into our driveway, I asked him, hey, why isn't so-and-so coming anymore? And he paused, and he looked at me, and he said, remember when you said, if you're not serious about following Jesus, this isn't the place for you? Well, they took your advice. I'll never forget that moment. Maybe in heaven, God will take that away from me. But tears started to well up in my eyes in the dark car. I was crushed. I was completely embarrassed. I was broken. I had a sense of guilt and shame come over me. My pride was front and center for all to see. And because of it, some people didn't come back. Our pride blinds us to the ministry of Jesus. Let me say that again. Our pride blinds us to the ministry of Jesus. As a young, immature, passionate, overzealous, unfiltered student, I thought I knew what people needed. I thought I knew how Jesus was working. But at times, my pride got in the way. And unfortunately, as some of you know very well, it still does today. This morning, we begin a short two-part series titled Responses to Jesus. This week, we're going to look at pride through the lens of the Pharisees' response to Jesus. And next week, Rick will continue the series by looking at responses of humility. 
So, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Follow along with me. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. All right, before we get into the pride of the Pharisees in this story, let's do a little background, okay? There were three main factions in ancient Judaism, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, okay? A little bit on each. First, the Pharisees, and some of this will be on the screen as well. The Pharisees had a high view of the Torah, okay? The first five books of the Bible, but they also had a high view of their interpretation of the Torah called the Talmud. Okay, I like like to think that they were the blue-collar Jews. They met in local synagogues more than the temple in Jerusalem, and most of the rabbis during Jesus' day were Pharisees. Okay, and lastly, when it came to Roman and Greek influence in their lives, they found themselves somewhere in the middle. They weren't directly opposed, but weren't completely in favor either. The Pharisees. Secondly, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the white-collar elitists who were the priests of the temple. They ran the temple and thought that the temple was the center of all ministry for the Jews, and they did not value the Torah like the Pharisees. While the Pharisees were so-so about Roman and Greek influence in their lives, the Sadducees completely embraced it and even used the Romans to gain and keep power and influence. The Sadducees. And lastly, the Essenes. The Essenes. The Essenes became a group because they saw the lives of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they were completely disgusted. Okay, I like to think that they were the no collar monks of Jesus' day. They believed that Jerusalem and the temple had become completely corrupted by Roman and Greek culture. And so not all of them, but many of them left town and went out to the desert to escape the corruption. Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. This morning, we're obviously going to focus on the Pharisees. Okay, remember, they have a high view of the Torah, but they also have a high view of their specific interpretation 
of the Torah. And that's important. So in verse 1, if you want to look there again, when the Pharisees see Jesus' disciples picking grain on a Sabbath, they get upset. Because in their understanding of Sabbath laws, this is forbidden. This is a big no-no. And Jesus essentially responds with this, and he does this in other sections of Scripture as well. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He appeals to the current Jewish thought that said to preserve a life is worth not honoring the Sabbath. So if you're really that hungry, you have freedom to pick grain on the edge of the field that was left for the poor and that was left for the foreigner. And then Jesus also appeals to a law in Numbers that allows the priest to work on the Sabbath if necessary. The Pharisees were so dogmatic in their following of the laws, they didn't allow themselves to live with any sort of nuance. Life was black and white and never gray. And so as you can imagine, this clouded their understanding of God and God's work in the world. And it impacted, unfortunately, the way the Pharisees treated others, especially the less fortunate. If you look at Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus says, and if you would have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. And in verse 14, the last verse we read in this section, Matthew writes, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees, simply put, were opposed to Jesus. And because of that, Jesus' harshest words were towards the Pharisees and the religious elite. You don't have to turn there, they'll be on the screen, but Matthew 23 is is probably Jesus' most famous criticism of the Pharisees. Listen to a few of these. Verse uh, 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And lastly, verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of people, dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. According to Jesus, the Pharisees were messed up, and he's not happy about it. He calls them hypocrites. He calls out their greed. And so as you can imagine, this upset the Pharisees. They did not like Jesus for many reasons. 
even though, okay, this is important, even though Jesus was the promised one of the scriptures that they knew by heart, their pride blinded them in a way that they didn't allow the scriptures to actually live inside their heart. Their pride blinded them to the ministry of Jesus, to what Jesus was actually doing on this earth. And therefore, they hurt people in the process. Like 21-year-old me, or if I'm honest, 31-year-old me, can you identify it all? Can you relate? As I think about the three different groups that I described, I think it's probably fair to say that we in our context are most like the Pharisees. That would be our natural bent here in Tremont. And so we need to let God search our hearts to understand and realize where pride is blinding us and how our pride is affecting those around us, specifically those outside these walls right now. Good news, right? Fun so far. Um, but let's get, let's get practical. Okay, what exactly is, is pride? All right, my paraphrase of dictionary.com's definition would be this, a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, or merit, either in one's mind or behavior. Okay, a high opinion, a lofty opinion of one's own dignity, importance, or merit, either in, in your mind or in your actions and your behavior. Okay, so if this is true, the next question is, how do we know if we struggle with pride? Okay, we're sitting here this morning, we're hearing this, but how do I know if I struggle with pride? It's one of those things that sometimes is very, very obvious with the classic loud and proud athlete. But other times it's difficult to see in ourselves. And so what I've done is I've compiled a list to help us answer that question, okay? This list is made up of personal pride struggles for me that I don't have to think too much about um, and also a trusty good old classic Google search as well, okay? So as I read, see how many you identify with. Keep track. First, we may be prideful if we struggle with entitlement, Entitlement. What does entitlement look like? For example, we love control. We think our schedule and plans are more important than others, and therefore we get angry when people are late. We give our opinions when we're not asked to do so. We're too good to perform certain tasks. We have a difficult time celebrating the success of others. Entitlement. Number two, ingratitude. Ingratitude, we rarely say thank you. We are not content and often want more. We are jealous and envious of what others have. Ingratitude. Number three, people pleasing. People pleasing, we're consumed with what others think. We'll clean our house just because someone is coming over. We're devastated by criticism. We replay a conversation over and over in our heads to analyze if we said anything foolish. We'll avoid conflict just so others aren't upset with us. We won't ask for help because we don't want to be a burden to others. People-pleasing. Number four, hypocrisy. 
hypocrisy. We minimize our own sin and faults and maximize the sins and faults of those around us. We justify our sin and behavior by explaining motivation rather than simply admitting it and asking for forgiveness and moving forward. Hypocrisy. Number five, fault finding. Fault finding. We get angry when others disappoint or fail our expectations. We are impatient. The smallest, uh, smallest things can set us off. We need for things to be perfect. And we are critical of others. Fault finding. Number six, desperate for attention. We are desperate for attention. When entering a conversation, we talk right away rather than figuring out what people are talking about and easing our way into the conversation. When someone shares a story, we then share a similar story from our own life that is funnier or more extreme to one-up the other person. We name drop to show off connections and relationships we have with so-called important people. We rarely ask questions to others and instead talk about ourselves. And lastly, we love and we need to feel needed. Desperate for attention. Number seven, unteachable. Unteachable. We assume we already know something when someone is teaching. We consistently disregard the advice of others. We're stuck in our ways. We think other generations have it wrong and that we know best. We struggle to submit to authority. When receiving correction, we have to explain ourselves. Unteachable. Number eight, neglect others. We neglect others. It's difficult for us to go out of our way to serve. We have a lack of compassion for those when they have caused their own problems. We don't have many close relationships outside of family. Neglect others. Number nine, this is a communal one, okay? The previous eight have been individual, but this is for us as a community. And I'm going to call it community self-righteousness. Community self-righteousness. We talk bad about other surrounding towns. We look down at churches who do things differently than us. New people who are different from the stereotype here don't feel welcome. We only take care of one another and reaching out to others outside of our community is difficult. Community self-righteousness. And number 10, uh, there isn't a neat and clean word or phrase for this, but we may struggle with pride if we listen to the previous nine on the list and we had someone else in our mind. Yeah, like that spouse that's sitting right next to you and you're kind of, and then you had the thought, he or she really, really needs to hear this. As C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, the more we have pride in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. All right, this has been tough so far. I want to acknowledge that. This was not easy to prepare. But there is no condemnation or shame for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? 
don't let this list produce those thoughts in your mind. However, okay, if you're like me, you may find yourself identifying with with many of them. And because of that, our pride can be blinding. It blinds us from seeing God for who he really is. And it can blind us from seeing how God is working by his spirit all around us. And he usually does this in ways that we wouldn't have predicted. In James 4, 6, James writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud because the proud are opposed to him. The proud person says, I don't need God, I can do this on my own. Or the proud person says, I know what God wants and you don't exactly fit into that plan. Put another way, the proud person says, if you're not serious about following Jesus, this isn't the place for you. Our pride blinds us to the ministry of Jesus just like it blinded the Pharisees. And so a few questions to end this morning. How may God be working around us in ways that we currently don't see because of our pride? Have we written off certain people? Is it possible that God may be working in the very people that we think are far from him? That one neighbor, that one coworker we have. I just want us to begin to think as a church that let's partner with the Spirit and begin to look out for those opportunities and love the lost people around us. But I want to end with two practical encouragements, okay? First, we're going to close with a song. Um, And while we sing this song, I want all of us in the uh, quietness of our hearts and our minds to ask God to show us ways that we have been prideful before him. We are created in the image of God and God has given us dignity and worth as humans. Okay, Genesis 1. But we have rebelled and therefore we are helpless. We need God and his grace and his mercy. And so confess ways you've been prideful before him. Whether it's you need control and you don't trust him or you rarely say thank you to him or you're looking for approval in all the wrong places, or you focus on the speck in someone else's eye, all the while you have a telephone pole in your own eye, whatever it may be, confess to God and ask for his grace and mercy to set you free on a new path. And then secondly, this one will be a bit more challenging, okay, I understand. But pride blinds us in a way that impacts those around us. Think of all the different people the Pharisees and religious elite had a negative impact on because of all their unnecessary rules and laws and their pride. And I have to believe that our pride does the same. There are people in this room right now who have been negatively impacted because of my pride. Can the same be said about you? And so what I want us to do this morning is after the song is over, before you leave this building today, if any of this is true of you, I want you to ask for forgiveness from someone who has been hurt by your pride. 
Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's a friend that you said that thing to four months ago, whomever. Talk to them as you walk out. Ask them to eat lunch with you, whatever works, and confess your sin and pride to them and seek out reconciliation. I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but growth and comfort cannot and will not coexist. We have to be willing to step out and admit our failures and sins to one another in order to experience new life. I'll say it one more time. Pride blinds us to the ministry of Jesus. But praise God that Jesus was a man of humility, Philippians 2, who took on our pride, all of our sin, and he defeated it on a bloody cross and an empty grave. And so while pride may be blinding, the spirit is in the business of opening up our eyes. So let him do that. Let's pray. God, you know what we need in this place this morning. Father, your son um, was very, very upset with how people like us treated the less fortunate and made it almost more difficult at times to come to you. And so God, I pray that that would not be true of us but that we would be a people who love one another well, sacrificially, with humility. And I pray that if we have not done that with people in this room, we would confess, even during this song, after the song, during lunch, whatever it may be, so that we may be salt and light, so that the watching world of Tremont, maybe, would look at our lives and say, whatever he or she has, I want. They live different than me. And that we would be able to point everything to you. So God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The words of this song, here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. Lay your heart before the Lord now and just let him examine, show you, uh, show us each where pride has ruled in our lives and the Lord has not. Um, just take, make this a prayer for your life and, uh, and if you feel like standing and singing with us, do that as well. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I'll sing that again. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my.
for your glory so that others might see there's something different about that person. And Father, as we've been challenged, may we, may we look to where pride has ruled in our lives and where we may have offended someone else by putting ourselves before them. May we be challenged to reconcile that so that your love can, can grow in us and that others can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for this glorious day that we can gather in your house. And as we leave here, may we leave to honor and to worship and to glorify you. And may we serve you in great and mighty ways. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>